0: Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads.
1: I mean, I I certainly kind of consider myself to be the the go-to person for if you really want to have a conversation about what having kids is like, um, you know, and maybe you want somebody to talk you out of it, come to Diane.
0: This is death, sex, and money. That's probably why they invented TiVo, so people could have sex. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. They both screw people for money. And need to talk about more. Why did you have to die? I'm Anna Sale. I first met Diane Gill Morris on the Death, Sex, and Money Facebook page. We'd posted an article about people thinking about having kids, and Diane commented, We have two teenage boys with autism. I love them deeply, but, she wrote, If someone had told me that this is what it'd be like, I never would have had kids. We reached out to Diane in North Carolina, where she lives outside Raleigh.
1: I just feel like it's. We live in a society where, especially you know now with Facebook and everybody, will post these great, beautiful pictures of their kids and talk about all their great successes and how wonderful things are. And um, I feel like sometimes it would benefit people to understand that you go into kids thinking that it's going to be this wonderful, amazing lifelong experience, and that the reality is. Um, It may just take so much more from you than you would have imagined.
0: What she imagined was very different when she first met her husband, Greg. She was 18, a college sophomore. They were both studying journalism at the University of Missouri. And I was um, in love with him within
1: three weeks. Why? He's just, we just click. Like, you know, I was just crazy. But like, I, I got home, like, literally after our first date And called my mother and I said, oh, my God, you won't believe this date I just went on. I can't wait to see him again. Um, And we ended up spending the next day together.
0: And then we were just together ever since. That was 23 years ago. Soon after Diane graduated from college, she and Greg got married. And they quickly started talking about having kids.
1: We bought a house and it seemed natural to, you know, put a couple of kids in it. So my thought was that if I had my kids young... I could then go back to my career, so like Kenny was born, I was twenty five Thea was born, I was twenty seven I figured by thirty, I'm back at my career, and that is not how things worked out at all.
0: When did you notice that that there was something different about Kenny?
1: <sighs> well, um, he was you know he he hit you know twelve months and he was he had his a smattering of words, you know about ten words that he was using. And then maybe at about fifteen or sixteen months old, my husband and I just kind of looked at each other and go and we're like, "When was the last time you heard Kenny say something?" You know, it just
0: like suddenly dawned on us that he hadn't. He had just kind of stopped talking. They took him to the doctor, but it took about another year for Kenny to be officially diagnosed with autism when he was two and a half years old. At that point, Thea was already. Eight months old. So you'd
1: already chosen to have a second child. Yes. And at the time we were like, well, you know what, this, what's, what's going to be really great for Kenny is that, you know, Theo's going to be here to like be this great role model for him. And then Theo was about 16 months old. And by this point, you know, now we knew what to look for and, you know, how to, how to judge these things and, and, I remember my husband and I each uh, sitting next to Theo and he's playing with blocks and, like, putting them in a row or something. And we're like, Theo, 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 and getting absolutely no response. And we just looked at each other and we were like, well, okay, here we go again.
0: Both of Diane's sons struggle with speech, but they have really different personalities, Kenny was a pretty laid-back little boy. Theo wasn't. Theo was a nut. He was. He used to beat up everybody.
1: When he was six years old, he put his teacher's arm in a sling. He would, he would go off about, about anything. So we would just be... It, it, was, it would seem to me like everything was just going as normal. And all of a sudden, he would be desperately upset. And uh, my first reaction as a mother was to try to connect with him, right? You know, you get down on their level and you get in their face and you're like, sweetheart, it's okay. Don't, I, you know, you don't even know it's, I don't even know what's wrong, but I'm going to, you know, it's okay. Every. you know, every, I'm here. And what I had to learn was that that made me vulnerable because when I got down on his level, he could now smack me in the face in places that really hurt. Um. So I had to learn to disregard my own, maternal instincts.
0: So you had to think about your personal safety.
1: Yeah, you know, um, and, but, 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 you know, we, we, we started this, this therapy relationship uh, development intervention, and it helped me to understand where he was coming from. And I, you know, understand that what, was, what we were dealing with was just
0: such tremendous anxiety that he would just explode. Diane pulled both Theo and Kenny out of school and taught them at home. She'd already cut her work hours down to part-time. There's just not enough services to make it
1: possible for you to for you to be able to go to work all day, you know. So we'd have a, a helper, and then suddenly they say, "Oh, I can't come; my car's broken down," or they quit because the payment through Medicaid, which is how we got those services, um, was just so low that they were always looking for another job. So um, you know, my husband and I have tried numerous configurations. Lot, you know, most, most of the time has been me not working full time.
0: Why did you end up being the parent who worked less than full time? Did you um, choose that, or did it fall to you?
1: I think, I think in some ways it made more sense because I think for me, I wanted to be there, and uh, my husband, you know, it just didn't, and it didn't work for him. I mean, for him. It's just very hard for a man to say to his boss, I need to work for your hours and, you know, still expect the same respect within the workplace.
0: Were you working because you needed the money or because you needed to be working?
1: I I, I was working because I needed the money, but I also did need to be working. I mean, being it would not have been healthy for me. To not be working. Because it's very hard to have a social life when you have kids like that, right? I mean, moms get together with their kids, right? You go to the playground with your kid. Well, my kids, the lunatic, who I have to be like right next to every second. I can't sit down and have a conversation with another mom. Because I'm always worried that he's going to beat up some other kid on the playground. So there was no social interaction opportunities for me. Um, so having, being able to work um, it probably is what kept me sane through
0: that entire experience. Diane also started going to church, even though she hadn't gone regularly when she was growing
1: up. And I found that being in service and just kind of having that quiet time, having this, this quiet hour and a half was so something I needed Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but people were asking her prayers about all kinds of things and I would be like okay if this is how this works let me do this you know and I would pray and cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and pray and I'd just be like just tell me what feels to do and (laughs) at some point I realized that I was I was beating myself up in an in an effort to impress God (laughs) I was making myself feel worse. And um, over the years, I found that I have become not just like fully atheist, but like devoutly atheist. Why? Because if I have to accept the idea that somebody chose this for me, that's, I, I can't, I can't accept that. I can't get there. This is too hard. Um, but if I can just accept that it's just
0: you know, a accident of biology, I can do that. Did anyone at church ever tell you, this is This is God's plan, everything happens for a reason?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody says that. Oh, everybody says, you know, um, God only gives special children to special people. To which I say, well, then God can go fuck himself. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'm like not it, like that's no, no, that's not a thing.
0: Coming up, how Diane is planning for her kids futures and her own. You know, right now, our current plan is not to die
1: because I don't know what I, I don't know what would happen.
0: One in 68 children has autism spectrum disorder, according to the Centers for Disease Control. And boys are nearly five times more likely than girls to have autism. The group Autism Speaks estimates that autism costs families about $60,000 a year on average. A listener named Marlene wrote in about autism in her family. She has three children, two sons with autism, and a 16-year-old daughter. She and her daughter sent in this voice memo.
1: I think I came to... Learn about what it actually was called in maybe like fifth grade, fourth grade, maybe. Uh, you didn't under- think it was anything bad though. It was just, it wasn't bad. It was just something that they had. Yeah. And what do you think that you find most difficult about having, a, having brothers with special needs? Um, I like to think of myself that we do have our spats. We're siblings. We're always going to have that but I'm always concerned that I'll hear more stories about kids not interacting with them because they're too freaked out to approach them. And as their big sister, I want to take care of them too.
0: You can share your story with us anytime. Just email deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. On the next episode. And I started realizing how satisfying it was living alone. I personally found it intoxicating being by myself. Last year you shared your stories about what it's like to live alone. We'll revisit that episode and get some updates about what's happened since. My living situation has completely changed and a lot of things in my life have completely changed. This is Death, Sex and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Diane Gilmore's sons are teenagers now. They have their routines down, but parenting hasn't gotten any simpler.
1: Okay. Mm. Well, go on back to the room, And when you're ready to eat, breakfast, you know what to eat. Mm.
0: Diane sent us this recording from a recent morning. Her younger son, Theo, is yelling in the background while she's trying to convince her older son, Kenny, to eat breakfast.
1: Stop it. Stop your head. You need to go to your room. No, let me go. I'll talk to you when you're ready to eat. Puberty is awesome, by the way. Um, what changed with we- puberty? <laughs> oh, I mean, Kenny was like this really sweet kid. Um, and... He hit about 14 and a half and he turned into like, it was just like he got pissed off about everything. He would start smacking himself in the head. He, most of his aggression was towards himself and towards the walls. The walls have taken quite a toll and and, and it only got worse. The more I interacted with him, the worse his behavior got. So I had to change my approach. So now when he starts getting mad about something, I tell him, I am not interested. You need to go to your room. And he recognized that he needed to learn how to keep himself under control um, because I had to make it his responsibility. I can't control him. He has to learn how to control himself. Kenny, now that he's you know he's 16 you know he is very soon going to be a young black man he is i mean he's 57 he's he is a young black man and i am still trying to figure out how i make sure that he is safe in the world um you know when i can't explain to him all of the all of the intricacies involved of what it, of what it means to be young and black in america um you know for for me personally i feel like it leaves me isolated there's a lot few the community of moms with special needs kids that's actually like organized and together is almost entirely white these are the moms who a lot of these are moms who get to stay home and they tend to make relationships and a lot of the minority moms that I know who have special needs kids work. Have to work. They have to work. And they don't have the opportunity, the time and opportunity to make the same relationships. Um, I mean, I'm I'm guessing that that might be the reason. But we're, we're friends on Facebook and everything. And I see them all, you know, together for their their little, you know, night out or whatever. And I'm like you know oh okay well you know i'm glad they're enjoying themselves i would have liked to have gotten out tonight but whatever <laughs> you know kind of thing. you're not invited but yeah but it's like i'm just not on the list and i don't know that we would all be friends anyway i mean i don't i don't know the, these women like so well that i would say oh you know we would all be best friends if if uh if that were if we weren't you know if they would just invite me or something like that and you know Legitimately, maybe they just don't like me, which I think is a total, <laughs> a totally valid reason not to invite someone. But, um, but you don't know. But you, but you're right. I mean, and this is kind of like the reality of my life because I'm, I'm a, I'm mixed, and I have a, my mother is white, my father is black, and um, I've kind of spent my whole life as that person who wonders, was I excluded just because they didn't want me there, or was I excluded because? It never occurred to them that they would it never occurred to this group of people that they would include a
0: black person. When you feel down, what do you do?
1: Um I have a, numer- <laughs> a bottle of gin in my cabinet. Oh, um, I Really? Um yeah, yeah, my mother won't want to hear about that. I yeah, I I have a I I I drink probably pretty regularly. Um it's just the tension of meeting their needs and, you know, making sure that everybody's okay and it builds over the course of every day. And, you know, by the time the day's over, you know, good God, you need a drink. <laughs> and, um, and, and that's, I mean, that's just kind of how, um, how you can, how you get through the day. In fact, this, this I've found to be pretty common amongst uh, special needs moms, A Good number of us polish off half a bottle to a bottle of wine at the end of each day. You know that's not uncommon.
0: Do you drink with your husband, or is that like your special <laughs> alone time? No, he um, he
1: doesn't really like to drink. He because he just he just doesn't see the need. He doesn't have that need. He doesn't let things get to him the way I I do. How has parenting changed your marriage? Greg and I have been together since. I was eighteen and he was nineteen, and you know I can't say that I knew that I had a man who could go through something like this and be strong. He 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 does bedtime every every night unless he has to be someplace. You know I hear them in the bathroom and he's being totally silly and they're giggling together. You know and um, he he just. You know, he just um, is, he's just such an amazing partner. Um, and I think, you know, the the hard part is, is, you know, is not having the time together that we, I think we thought we would have by the time you have teenagers. You know, you, by the time you're a teenager, you're thinking that you're going to get to go away for a weekend together or... Go out to dinner or things like that, and and we do get to do that occasionally, but it's much harder to make it happen. We don't get to go away; that's not an option. Um,
0: when was the last time you traveled together, just the two of you?
1: <sighs> Once, <laughs> when when I actually, I think I think I was pregnant with Theo, so I, <laughs> I think we only had candy at that point. We went from Raleigh to Winston Salem, North Carolina, for a weekend, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was it. I mean that, and and so. What we've done a few times is um, where we do a hotel night in town. Uh, we did a weekend once where we, we spent two nights at the, the embassy suites. That was like five miles from our house. So my parents were with the kids. And, you know, we could be there in, with, you know, in less than 10 minutes if something happened.
0: Do you ever um, have, tell like sort of, um, you know, dark humor jokes, oh. jokes where you're making fun of your kids oh, to totally. each other?
1: <laughs> totally. I mean, like, you know, yes, we routinely um, make fun of our children, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, because I mean, they do they do things that are just like ridiculous and you know it it's like what else can you do you know i mean this is the, like the weirdest thing is that you know they are difficult and stressful and you know a constant challenge and yet they are sweet and loving and funny and and, and they i mean and they kind of do their own versions of jokes yesterday Kenny and i are making oatmeal cookies, then I say, okay, next up is baking soda. And he looks in the, in the cabinet, and he like, gets a smile on his face, and he pulls out the honey, which is in one of those little bear-shaped jars. He knows that's not baking soda. He's done this a million times. And he just smiles at me, and he's holding the honey, and he's, like, waiting for me to react. And we're, and, and our heads are getting closer together until our foreheads touch. And then I'm just like, That! It's not, and before I can even finish, he just burst out laughing. He just, <laughs> he completely cracked up. I mean, for him, that's his, that's his version of a joke, you know? And I thought it was awesome. I thought it was great. And I told my husband about it when he got home. And they're they're just like, they're just amazing people. And, you know, you I, I am constantly astonished by how they have managed to evolve despite all their challenges and how they've pushed through difficulties.
0: So I hear you say that, Diane, and and I think back to how we started this conversation. Yeah. We I think back to you also being pretty clear that if you'd known what motherhood would be like for you, you wouldn't have had kids.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that's still true. I mean, when I think about my life, what I wanted for my life, this is not it. You know, I wanted a career. I wanted to travel. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have chosen this path because I had to give all of that up. And I can't and I don't even know that that's ever going to change. I mean, I don't know that there's going to be a place for them when they're in their when they're adults. I mean, that still has to be my priority as a mother, no matter how old they are.
0: Or how old you are. And
1: no matter how old I am, yes. Um, that's where it gets hard. I think, it, you know, it shifted. When they were little, it was all about trying to figure out how to help them. How do I help them? How do I help them be better? How do I, what should I be doing? I don't know what to do. <laughs> and trying to figure that out. Um, now it's, okay, this is who they are. I can help, I can continue to help them grow and evolve. And at least now I kind of have some understanding of what that entails, but the hard part is just accepting that this is quite conceivably the rest of my life
0: do you think you and your husband mourned what could have been at the same time or did it happen at different paces
1: um i don't know i mean it's funny it's not something that we it's not funny that we talk about that much because I think we're just both very aware that it's there. I mean, the, the most heartbreaking thing my husband ever said to me, and this was years ago when the boys were, 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 were small. um, You know, he just goes to me one day, I could have been such a great dad. And he is a great dad, but I understand what he means. He will, you know, he's just like, we could have raised these like really amazing young African-American men and We would have made sure that they were well educated and we would have made sure that they were, you know, respectful and intelligent and, you know, had lots of great experiences and all this stuff. Um, But, you know, you have to push so much of that down. I mean, it's a bizarre experience to essentially mourn the loss of someone you never met. But, you know, you can, you can drive yourself crazy with that, you know, because these boys are right in front of me and they're beautiful and sweet and amazing. And, you know, they deserve a mother who's not sitting there thinking, I wish you were somebody else because, you know, that's not fair. This is who they are. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know. But... Um, but, yeah, you know, I, the, the, they, are, they are my children and I love them and I will do whatever it takes to make sure that they're okay. And that's what I have to focus on.
0: That's Diane Gill Morris. She's a mom and freelance writer from Cary, North Carolina. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener supported production of WNYC Studios. The team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Boteen, James Ramsey, Destry Sibley, and Rick Kwan. Special thanks to Stephanie Joyce for her help on this episode. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death Sex Money, and you can email us anytime with feedback or story to share at deathsexmoney at WNYC.org. says what's hardest is not knowing how or when things with her family might change. So I asked her, what would make your life easier?
1: Wow, that is an incredibly good question. The only thing I can think of would be um, a million dollars. <laughs> a million dollars would make, like, like not having to worry about that. A couple million bucks, that would make my life easier.
0: You think you can hook me up? Well, you said a million at first, and then you said a couple million. I know.
1: I started to calculate. I was like, well, I got two, so I need to rethink that. Maybe one isn't going to be enough after taxes.
0: I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.